Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today we've brought on another fantastic guest for you, San Eng, and he is the founder and chief investment officer at SkyTian Capital. And with experience managing billion-dollar funds, he's deployed over $700 million across various sectors, including technology, infrastructure, consumer, blockchain, agriculture, and real estate across the U.S., Canada, and Asia. And his private equity firm is ranked among the top in China. And as an entrepreneur, San has successfully founded and led ventures, raising over $200 million. He's played a strategic role on boards and advised founders on numerous companies. And within real estate, he's invested extensively in single-family homes, farmland, mortgage funds, retail, commercial, and multifamily apartments in both North America and Asia. So San, welcome to the show and welcome. And how are you doing today? Great. Good to be here. Happy New Year, Eileen. Thank Happy you. Happy New Year to you too. So San, can you share a little bit more about your background and how did you get started with real estate? Sure, sure. Um, so yeah, my name is San. I'm currently in St. Pete, though. I'm a first-gen immigrant from China. Grew up in New York City. Did the whole Asian thing. Went to a decent school. Did a few years of corporate jobs, but really uh, after a couple of companies decided that uh, at age 27 to be on my own. And so first decade or so is really just doing tech startups, um, raised some 70 million for a number of ventures. And at 28, we ended up uh, stock options, a CEO of a tech company were worth uh, eight figures, whereas on the path to go public to the dot-com days, you're too young for that, Eileen, but uh, you recall it, it crashed and burned and those eight figures uh, became more like six figures. Uh, I pivoted to use that experience to do investing and so started and managed a number of funds for the next almost 20 years, 15, 20 years. So venture capital, private equity. Um, at one point, our assets under management, primarily out of Asia, was about 450, 450 million. Okay. Um, had kids. Wasn't spending a lot of time with the kids. China's pretty pretty crazy. Everybody works too hard and drinks too much. So when I turned 50, I sold virtually everything that I could sell, properties and my assets, and had my midlife crises. Uh, took five years off. Uh, it wasn't a crisis, but the, it was an amazing five years, spending time with my parents, traveling the world with my kids. Um, wrote a book with my dad and uh, just learn stuff. I spent three years actually going to blockchain crypto conferences, just learning what that's about. And then when I turned 50, my kids were tweens and didn't want to hang out with me, no longer cool, and uh, started to get into real estate. So, so kind of curious a little bit about, you know, when you first started at 28 years old, how did you transition how did you start getting into the china market and and start managing your own funds like what was that time period like for you and oh, okay. how did you get into that side of the business oh in my 20s i was actually in california we were dual headquarters california hong kong we were doing a, a internet company that was cross-border so we that was when we raised about 70 million 
And uh, we were in the process of going IPO, and I was lucky enough to recruit a CEO to take my place, and I was going to retire. And then I was recently married at the time, and we decided to take a two-year vacation slash uh, break in Shanghai, which turned out to be 17 years. Wow. Yeah, and then got bored and started fundraising for our uh, private equity fund in China. It took about two years to, to put it together. So from there, you said you build up most of your investments all in the Asia market then up until age 45 when you sold everything? Or were you also investing some of the stuff in California, the US as well at that time? I was pretty focused with the funds business in China and Asia. And at exactly 45, I said, I'm going to just take five years off. I wasn't really not doing anything. I was, I just didn't have uh, any staff at the time. I, I had uh, some folks take over the business. So I was then able to just travel and learn, goof around, you know, get back in shape, things like that. I, I timed it because at 50, my three daughters were, you know, in the teens and tweens. And, you know, I don't know if you have kids, but at, at that point there, they they want to spend less time with you, so I I started getting back into um, into investing in real estate. I I have uh, two young children myself, and right now all they want is just mommy and daddy. <laughs> yeah, I'm very envious. I'm very envious that that those are good years. It, it, every year is good, but those are really good years. Yes, yeah. yes, it's, <laughs> yeah. It's it's amazing how it's like at this stage and point right now in their lives. It's like. The parents, everything revolves around the parents. They want to do everything. They want to spend time with you. And sometimes even though it gets a little bit challenging when you're like, okay, I need a little bit of a break for a second, you know, uh, yeah. maybe go to, go to, go to daddy for a little bit, you know, but at the same time, it's such a great time period to see them grow yeah. and to yeah. have that a hundred percent like attention from them as well. And when you look at it. Yeah. So, so depending on boy or girl and obviously the child, I guess. 12 to 16, 17 is when they're monsters. You're like the the least cool parent in the world. Uh, so mine are all 17 and above now. And it's I've gone beyond that. I'm still not cool, but definitely getting better. <laughs> they say they boomerang, yeah. right? They boomerang. Yeah. So <laughs> at a certain point of time, all they want to do is, you know, spend time with you. They get to their teen years and then it's like, okay, I want to spend time with my friends and, uh, you know, my parents, you know, I can limit some of that time with them. And then later when they get into the college time frame, sometimes they boomerang back and they're just so much closer. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's slightly, I wouldn't say it's boomerang. I always like to say kind of like a slow winding river back. <laughs> So at 45, you sold all your assets, um, you sold everything, and then you took a five-year break to travel. Did you stay in China and Shanghai that time, or did you move back to the United States? Um, at 45, we tried to sell what we could. We sold majority. And you know, in retrospect, at the time, it would, oh, you're kind of early, but in retrospect, you can't time to peak where we it was a good decision. Because right now, whether it's properties or whatnot, Shanghai, China is it's tough to liquidate, and obviously, it's um, the value has has gone down quite a bit. Um, uh, we first moved to Taipei for a few years because it's still bilingual, so we wanted the kids to be a certain age to learn Chinese. Then we went to Toronto, so we have a Toronto base now, and then uh, I got bored during COVID and started 
just driving all across America and then looking at properties and markets and end up um, lucky, if not having some success in the Tampa. So, so that's where we're based right now. At least the business is based here. now. So you, when you were driving across the U S <laughs> <laughs> during that time, what did you set out to do? Like, what were you looking for? Or was it, let me just drive around mm -hmm. and just see what I can find and where this will lead me? Yeah. So those five years, Eileen, um, I obviously was reading and learning. I mentioned blockchain, but I've always done real estate on the side as an appetizer. And so I had decided that it would be an asset class I want to focus on for probably the same reasons you would focus on, you know, uh, to create generational wealth, passive income. And you did it correctly. Uh, I'll talk more about that later, uh, potentially less, you know, heavy lifting from an operation standpoint. Um, at the time, I was using the Kits Tesla X. So from Toronto, we drove back and forth. After a while, you know, I was using it too much. So I bought a Tesla Y. Uh, and between those two cars, I literally had put in about 100,000 miles since COVID. Um, part of it is because with COVID, you couldn't travel. Right in New York or Toronto, and part of it is I just thought it'd be nice to see the country. Um, so we made several trips to Toronto, New York, all over Florida, Texas, and back just to kind of learn the markets, uh, making offers and underwriting, and ended up just so happens that investing passively with friends in let's say Texas, and then from a GP standpoint, more on the East Coast and Florida. Got it. And so was the first deals that you did, that was in Florida, you said, was that single family or what um, asset class was that? First deals, like I've done quite a bit of singles all over the China and I did a 20 unit in Saipan. Have you heard of Saipan? No. Have you heard of Guam? Yes. Yeah. So it's right next to, it's a U.S. territory, but it's the closest island to um, Asia or China. That's actually where they store the um, nuclear bombs that bomb Japan. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me why, but uh, we, we ended up buying and exiting a 20 unit. That's my first multi. Uh, but that was uh, before I moved back here. So uh, I started off with some family members in New Jersey buying smaller multis, twos and twos and fives and sixes, uh, mostly bird, uh, cash in and a cash out. Um, then did a bunch of passives uh, with friends kind of learn the business and then the first gp deal that has had partners uh, was a 76 unit in the clearwater got it so one of the things you mentioned earlier was i know that one of your focus is generational wealth you have a movement that you're working on the gen fire movement as well so you said something about doing it correctly or setting up the generational wealth correctly. If you do it correctly, um, it'll lead to a certain way. Can you elaborate a little bit on what you meant by that? And is there a correct way to look at it? Or what have you found that works best for you? And as you've invested in multiple different things and asset classes um, with all the experience that you have? So the answer, the answer is I don't have an answer. I was hoping you could teach me that. <laughs> That's why I invite you, you got, the that's you, why I invite you, the experts got, on. No, you guys have done so many good deals. It looks like so. So um, no. So I don't think I, I have the answer. We're still trying. Um, I think there's a lot of friends or folks that got into the business with us, in, uh, and specifically multi that have exited. Uh, we're doubling down. Um, 
2023, we didn't do any deal, new deals. We sold a bunch of deals. And then, so my business model had been, uh, I'm the deal guy. I'm, I'm good at finding deals, negotiating deals, maybe marketing the deals, raising money, structuring the, the, the capital stack loan. And in every single deal that I've done, except for the smaller ones where we don't have partners, uh, I typically would find a deal and bring in a partner to that act as asset manager. They'll handle the GP and then I would go and hunt the next deal. So the first year in Clearwater uh, worked out really well, found a deal, bought in two partners that did financial asset, operational asset, and uh, we were going to hold on to it, refi. But like 12 months later, somebody offered a very sick price and we decided to sell. And so we, we, we sold that in about 18 months for a net 45 IR to LPs. Uh, something similar happened with the second deal, which was slightly smaller, five million in Dunedin. We wanted to keep it, but <laughs> offers kept coming. And then uh, similarly, I found a deal, security deal, and brought in two partners to ha- handle a financial asset management and operational asset management. Went, went well, third party PM, and then we sold that uh, Q1, Q2 of last year, just under two years for a sixty percent net IR to LP. So, so that model was working. Um, and then we we bought a few more in the, in, the, in the Tampa area. Um, but the the deal I mentioned deals that um, I don't think uh, if you've done ten GP deals, which is what what I've done in the past few years, and ten passive deals, it's interesting. Two of the passive deals are in, in trouble or hasn't been stabilized. And then it just so happens that two of my GPTs are not yet stabilized with with floating bridge. So the past year, especially second half of 23, I've been 40, 60 hours a week. So nothing close to passive. Basically doing asset management because the partners that were brought in to do the asset management uh, either have quit or just kind of given up. And in the case of a smaller asset here in St. Pete, where I'm today, I am the PM. We created a PM company with the team because the prior three PMs just didn't execute. And so we, I'm learning the business, uh, not with the intention to be a career PM, but really to get it going. And then for future deals, which we intend to keep doing, this PM would play a role. And I'd be actually a lot more comfortable doing deals once we have um, that set up. So as you know, it's not it's not as passive as some folks market as, as such, especially if um, you want to do on every single deal. What have you found has been the biggest maybe similarities or challenges investing in the U.S. market versus like in, in Asia, for example? I mean, it's any business. It's really just a team, right? So in China, I didn't do real estate. I primarily invested in growth companies. So so there's like real estate link deals. We invested in some retail chains, hospitals have real estate, but they're primarily betting on the management team, right? Uh, I also did some uh, early stage tech, which is really even more on the, te- on, on the founding team. Um, real estate, I think it's actually similar. If you wanted to do small deals, twos and fours and fives, I have families that have been doing this 20, 30 years, then you can't really scale as much, right? You, you need to do a lot more. You can't really have some of the stuff that you could, like a, a, a proper PM, right? Um, in larger deals, a five or $50 million deal, I do think you, you should have one, if not two or three partners and you, you split the work, right? And so, but if, let's say the asset management GP partner isn't didn't source the right contractor or didn't source the right PM or isn't there in a 
didn't have the right tracking SOPs, then you could get in trouble. So as I mentioned, the two passive LP deals where we got into trouble is because of the PM, but really ultimately is the GP slash asset management, right? You didn't go, you didn't, yeah, didn't pick it, pick the team, what is GC that cheats you, uh, right? Or didn't track them right. And that's exactly what happened also with my G, the two GP deals. Two out of 10. Yeah. Right. What is your focus area right now? And what are you looking to continue to focus on, you know, in the upcoming future here? Yeah, in terms of on the investing side, I mean, I we've done really well in the smaller ones, the bird strategy, the ones that we we meaning it's either myself or some family members just buying all cash, a four unit, a six unit, and then refine those out bird. Um, my my brothers and I have done maybe forty of those deals over twenty years. And my brother started first, and I I I got involved the last few years, and I've never lost money in those. I've done. An IRR standpoint beats the larger ones quite handsomely. Uh, on the larger deals, I'm going to continue, you know, five fifty million dollar deals. But instead of just relying on asset management GP partners, I would be a lot more involved pre closing and post closing. Maybe targeting a lot less than twenty percent bad deal. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, like now, like like I I know how to look look at roofs a lot better. Uh, just you know, all the all the errors that I'm sure you've seen that have gone wrong. Even if I had an amazing asset management GP partner, I would be a lot more involved. So, San, how has real estate investing impacted your life? Mm, it's fun. It still is fun. Even this past year has been fun in the sense that uh, I was just talking to somebody early today. I didn't get in thinking I'd be putting 60 hours in asset slash property management. And there are days and Saturdays, Sundays, I wake up thinking, what am I doing? But ultimately, again, it's making me much more of a confident and experienced investor. And then we were able to sort of rise from this past bad PMs. I was able to pick out some of the team members from the from the uh, previous PMs, and we've now created a company around that. And I think the PM business and real estate in general is fairly tech averse, very tech averse. And so the company that we created is called WorkOptional.ai, and we're actually deploying aggressively a lot of AI tools to make to make uh, the entire PM business a lot more efficient. And I'm just seeing amazing dramatic efficiencies so i'm actually very excited about maybe later this year raising seven figures uh venture capital to help scale this uh tech slash ai power pm business so we didn't start off that way but it's really one of the sexiest projects i've seen from a prop tech and tech standpoint because every gp i talked to had the same issues and like how do you make them more efficient right so and what is one thing you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? It is generational. Uh, so my oldest daughter, who's a sophomore in college, she followed me around sometimes unwillingly, but often also willingly, <laughs> and started underwriting deals with me at 16. And we were able to close a deal together that she co-led. You know, it was a 12-unit deal. Uh, and so at U Chicago now, she is 
quite into the real estate side and investing. So I think it's something that you could kind of do together, right? Driving around. Um, yeah, I think a lot of newbies, as I still am, tend to maybe find teams that have complementary skills and then kind of just be over-trusting. I think that's okay on smaller deals where it's 100% of family money, but I think in larger deals um, going forward, as, as we discussed earlier, even if I have an asset manager in GP that is a world-famous rock star and I'm not handling that piece of business, I would still pay a lot more attention to that side of it so that it's more holistic. I think that's more responsible and I think that's smarter. Just having two sets of eyes, three sets of eyes on every piece of the business. You still have different differentiate ownership, but I think a bit more uh, more care to that. That makes sense. But but the asset class is fantastic. The last year or two, again, a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, I'm getting out of it. You know, the way I look at it is if we can make a deal work in the current environment, then it can't get worse, right? What is one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? Mm, I would just say it's persistence, right? Like anything, it's it's not as passive as people say. Whether well, it's even the LP, you have to do diligence, right? You really you can't just look at an OM. You really have to. So 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 I do network a lot and meet a lot of GPs, and we invest in GPs we like, and those same GPs also invest in us. It's just different geographic markets, right? Uh, so I think. A lot of times you see real estate folks, especially in multi and syndication that talk about passive. It shouldn't be as, as an invest as an LP. Um, and certainly GP business. Um, in a rising tie, everybody makes money, right? But there are cycles like we're going through now. So I don't think uh, it should be passive. Right. It can be a little bit more passive, um, but a little bit more active. But yeah, nothing is really 100% passive. Yeah, it's a business. It's a business, especially if you take outside money, you have to be, you have to treat it as a business, right? Right. If you bought a $10 million asset, it's a $10 million business. It's not with other people's money. So so um, I, I never thought that it was not a business. It's just that I think the 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 structure of the GP team, I would just like, you know, we, we did a deal where we have five GPs. And uh, one of the mistakes I made was not was going in with the team as a democracy, as opposed to, hey, you know, regardless of the shareholding, is there one GP that has the most experience that really act as CEO, right, uh, versus just being too democratic? Uh, if the deal goes well, then it's okay. But if there's any stress in the deal, democracies uh, don't work because it just takes too long. Right. And in real estate, especially before they stabilize, um, you can't you can't just be, you know, debating amongst yourselves. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. So. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. We go on forever. So many lessons. Right. Absolutely. And every deal is something different. And you're learning from each exactly. one of those deals and especially the people, every partnership every person that you're working with has a different dynamic and so working through all of that it's um it's always one of the challenging parts or one of the most fulfilling parts also is is working with the people yeah 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 i think one of the policies or rules is if i invest as an lp i i'd like generally to invest in gps that are last in line because that's what i do so i think in every deal we structure pref and comment uh, I'm in six, 
six figures in every single deal. Uh, there's a couple of seven figures and I'm always common, right? To signal that if you're handing money to us, then you get your money first, right? Uh, so I, I, I think that's a pretty good rule to follow. Uh, if I want to be a sustained, scalable, good long-term GP, that'd be fair to my LPs. And as an LP, I, I would look for that as well. So San, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing in this space? Um, I love Elon, an early investor in SpaceX and Tesla. And I really love what he's doing in X, uh, the former Twitter. So I don't have much of a presence there, but uh, going forward this year, one of the goals is to build build up my my X. So it's just, uh, I think, just sanding at X. Um, I'm obviously in LinkedIn and Facebook uh, and scantingcapital.com. But uh, hopefully we can follow each other on X. I think it's a great platform. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today. And thank you so much for sharing. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been fun. appreciate you. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.